Hello and welcome to episode 15 of the Wilder podcast. I am Tom Constable and this is Chloe. Hi everybody. Now, we don't actually have a lot to cover uh, in the top of this podcast yet. We have a great interview and really fascinating angle and take on how a grassroots movement can make a real change in the wilding world. Before we get into that, we do have one kind of singular important announcement, Chloe, don't we? I feel like we need a drum roll. Do you need a drum roll? Thank you for adding my to my workload and I will now get a drum roll from the internet for you. Excellent. I think it deserves one. Okay. So we've been busy planning over the last couple of weeks and we're delighted to announce the first Grange Project Volunteer State. And maybe I could even have a dumch. Okay. So I'll see what I can do. So that's you adding to your own workload. I mean, well, why not now? It is very exciting. It's been a, a little bit trepidatious, shall we say. We, we've been sitting on it for a while because we didn't want to just press the send button. It feels slightly exposing. It's kind of like, well, obviously, do you want to come to my birthday party? And, <laughs> you know, why happens if nobody turns up? But hopefully it won't happen. And actually, we've had some really positive feedback so far. I feel a lot of responsibility because we really want people to come along and enjoy their time at the Grinch Project as much as we do every day. And we've been really trying to think about how we hold people in mind throughout the day. And I guess that involves a degree of pampering. We're not pampering anybody. We're going to look after our guests. We're hosting people on the land, hopefully. If they turn up. Yes, it might right. be you and me and... A lot of cake. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So in terms of the layout, because I know you're a planner, Chloe, and you, you would like to know... Well, there, I think there are some key questions. Before I came along to any volunteers day, I'd want to know, you know, who's going to feed me? What's the plan? Is there a toilet? These are all important questions. You would think about toilets, Chloe. Is that you? On the top three questions is where do I go to the toilet? I think cake could come before toilet, but yeah, that it would be part of the consideration. All right, there we go. A bit of toilet talk before we even stick into the podcast. Just as a brief overview, you'd arrive in the morning round about half nine, hopefully either getting public transport or car sharing, but whatever, whatever works, we'll work together with whoever wants to come to make sure it's the most efficient possible. Absolutely. And then we have, I think we just have an introduction, a little chat, maybe a little wander around. We, we've got actually four activity leads. People have already volunteered to help run different segments. Have they volunteered or have we volunteered them? Probably the latter. <laughs> But very kind-hearted people who are very more experienced, I would say, than either of us yep. uh, that would take people through. And there's basically a session in the morning where we do an activity. It was split into groups and the activities will be ranging from pulling up internal fence lines through to building brash piles, pretending to be a wild boar or scalloping out of hedgerows, pretending to be a giant herbivore. Lots of lots of pretending to be animal spirits. <laughs> I suggest not required. No, no, we'll provide that. And obviously we provide all the equipment and then we'll stop for lunch. And I know that's something that you have, well, we both think is important, but you certainly are taking the lead on. Yeah, I think good volunteers deserve good food. And I love cooking. I love baking. And I'm actually just delighted that there are more people that I can test out some of my experiments on. Yeah, and for anyone that's been here, they will agree that it's definitely not something you missed out on and definitely a value add of being part of this wilding day. So then the afternoon is just, we all rotate, uh, like musical chairs, go on to the next activity. And then that's it. We have a little wrap up, a little chat. And what we hope people have got out of this is met some people, like-minded individuals, maybe from different backgrounds or experiences, really got to know each other, had a good chat during the day. Hopefully, we're hoping to foster a decent community spirit but equally as importantly, I think by the end of the day, I think there's going to be such a tangible difference, a very clear change that we, you, the volunteers have had on this land 
that's going to take us that one step closer to allowing it natural nature recovery. I think that's a really exciting bit because all the activities that are, we're going to get involved in on the day are all things that do make a difference very quickly. And the exciting thing is that you'll be able to come back at any point to kind of check out how these changes have impacted on the land over the summer, next winter, in years to come. So hopefully you'll all feel part of the experience. Yeah, you'll be part of the first inaugural event. And I think that's, that's super cool. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, I think that's enough of it. Well, if, gonna, um, do we need to tell people where to go if they want to sign up? I'm just about to do that. I just thought you get excited. It's a smooth, this is a smooth transition. In the show notes, you'll see a link at which a big letters, probably capital saying volunteer day. Click that link and it will take you to a section on the website where it's a very, very simple form, basically name, phone number, and would you like to be part of the WhatsApp group? If Please sign them, even if you don't want to be part of the WhatsApp group, we'll communicate with you directly. But that WhatsApp group, we're hoping, again, is this just place where everyone can virtually congregate and make sure that they communicate with each other so that everyone knows what's going on. Sounds good. Happy boss? Yes. Yeah, right. <laughs> so moving on to the interview for this week. It's pretty cool because although we interviewed our guests about a month ago, mm-hmm. And these are the the founders of Young Wilders, which is a grassroots movement looking at making wilding and nature recovery accessible to the younger generation to help inspire that younger generation, but also fast track nature recovery and a whole host of other stuff, which we'll go into in the interview. But also, it was wonderful to have them to come and... I use that word too often, but it was. It was wonderful to have these guys come and visit actually the Grange Project. And although during the interview, it was only with... I say only, was with the awesome and knowledgeable Jack and Noah. We were also joined here at the Grange Project with Molly and Meg. And a nicer group of people, I think it's it would be hard to find. What do you think? Oh, they were they a were complete pleasure to host. And, you know, Tom and I were in the midst of the bedtime battle. They let themselves in. They made themselves comfortable. It was just like having old friends over for dinner. And hopefully that wasn't just... That was a mutual experience rather than just one-sided. But I really enjoyed our chat. And if it wasn't for the pressures of the next day, I think we would have been chatting into the early hours. So let's step into the interview, shall we? Let's do that. So here's our chat with Jack and Noah from Young Wilders. We cover a host of topics ranging from the challenge of engaging younger generation. And I say younger, and we talk about what defines that in it. In wilding. Not us. Yeah, just... And also the importance of being inclusive in order to generate that systemic change that we're all hoping to have. Pleasure to have you here. So you guys may or may not know, we ask our guests to introduce themselves because no one knows you better than yourself. And you could give us all that pertinent backstory to how you find yourself where you are now. So as I've already spoken to you, Jack, let's start with you and then we'll go on to Noah if that's all right. So I'm Jack. I'm the director of Young Wilders and a co-founder. Uh, in practice, that doesn't mean a lot, though, because it's kind of co-directed as we're a very small organization. My kind of entry into the rewilding world and Young Wilders specifically was a little bit roundabout. I was originally doing chemical pollution research before and just had a kind of interest in rewilding. I like read all the kind of core texts like feral and wilding and all that kind of stuff. And then I started chatting with a group of friends about how we were all caught up in the romance of this idea. We were all like really interested in doing some work ourselves. And it kind of started as this hobby pastime idea and it's gradually evolved into a full-time job over the last two years, which has been awesome. Great. Noah? Hi, I'm Noah. I work for Young Wilders. My background previously was as an environmental engineer. And I kind of got sucked into this whole world for a few river restoration and wetland creation projects. I joined Young Wilders when Jack convinced me to quit my stable and 
well-paid job as environmental engineer to uh, come and yeah help turn an idea into a reality basically wow so you've got a lot to answer for there jack <laughs> and noah just go back to what is an environmental engineer so i was working in kind of all things water related mostly to do with like, the intersection of the built environment and the natural environment so i was working on like flood risk projects like flood risk management for housing developments and then also some nature-based solutions and natural flood management of how we tackle those things and then some more detailed river restoration and wetland design work which was mostly focused on increasing like water quality and managing uh, nutrient levels in rivers was kind of my bigger projects at the time anything from yeah sewage pipes to leaky dams basically i can see why you've uh, you've managed to convince them to join you jack you know, <laughs> that kind of knowledge and, and and expertise definitely as chloe and i are learning now is invaluable to the projects that our poor structure engineers getting quite confused when we're like now you need to make it more wiggly and then we want the drainage to be well <laughs> <laughs> no no it's just too straight He's like, I know it's been a complete lifesaver in that way and many others, as I'm sure will become apparent today. So, you know, we're really keen for this episode to be an episode that speaks to anyone who is young. And I'm going to ask you to define that in yeah. a second. What is what you're defining as young? Yeah, important question. <laughs> and really help talk about the value that young people bring to rewilding and also how young people who listen to this who may not be aware of you, how they can get them stuck in and get involved. So that's kind of the main effort up front. Awesome. So let's just go back to that. So Chloe and I are sitting here. I'm thinking, look, I'm, I think I'm young at heart. So how do you define young and what's the bracket and, and why did you come up with that specific bracket? Young Wilders specifically works with 18 to 30 year olds. Not that that's the definition of young <laughs> across the board. That's where we are currently. And we mostly work in that bracket, 18 to 25 year olds, i.e. like young adults who maybe just have a blossoming interest in nature conservation rewilding mm. or just looking for a community and some outdoorsy fun we think that's like a really important stage in your life to get involved with these things and yeah we kind of work with uh, young ecologists and people who are really keen like who really see this as their future and then as like one core group of who we see as our like beneficiaries and then the other core group is just young people who like nature mm. like being outside or don't and we need to show them that it is fun and people who just want to get involved from a uh, community mental health boosting like, way to spend your day. So let's start from the beginning. Jack, you mentioned that you got together with friends and just realized there was a blossoming interest, to use the phrase from Noah. Mm -hmm. But as the listeners will understand, and Chloe and I certainly do, there's one thing having a great idea and the intentions. And then there's another thing turning it into a going concern that obviously has you guys working full time, which is congratulations, starters. But please Give us a bit of back history to that and how you find yourself here within the organization. Yeah, it's been a bit of a roundabout journey. Basically, yeah, as I mentioned, it was just kind of a conversation amongst friends. And I think the kind of motivating aspects of those early conversations were quite kind of self-interested ultimately. I think we were really caught up in the romance of the rewilding movement, like a lot of us get. And on top of that, we had a very specific romantic image that we repeated to each other a lot of like walking through a rewilded landscape that we played some role in getting it to the place where it had got to. So in the beginning, we just wanted to do one project. We weren't really sure how it was going to happen. And it was mutually understood that it would be a hobby slash side thing. And we'd all work in other areas of the environmental sector. But as we stepped into the world and like started trying to win grants and kind of felt out what it was like to actually do these projects, we started getting contacted by people who wanted a bit of assistance and it gradually snowballed. And then we had a big sit down to discuss like whether we wanted to 
like kind of take this thing further. And we were also really keen in that conversation to get very clear about what we would actually add if we were to exist as a separate organization rather than like adding our services to other ones. And our reason for being based on those early chats was this thought that there's a lot of youth engagement going on in the environmental sector, which is vital. You know, obviously needs to be loads of that. But we felt like as we've been involved in these youth groups ourselves, a lot of them had this bolt on slightly box ticking feel to them. And it's really good they exist. It's better that they exist and don't, obviously. But a side effect of that was we didn't really feel like it was that substantive an engagement in, or certainly not very hands-on. We didn't have much decision-making control, for example. And we really wanted to create an organization that's firstly attractive for young people. So just like kind of fun, like Noah mentioned, just like a nice place to be. But also that gives young people room to kind of like learn things the hard way, kind of make decisions, practical on the ground experience, all that sort of stuff. And those were kind of the early thoughts that led to us having this youth like rewilding focus. Another component of our USP, I suppose, is that we tend to focus on smaller plots just because at our time of founding, most of the biggest organizations were focusing naturally on much bigger plots. So we felt like there was a niche. There were these smaller landowners approaching us who needed help. And there were these young people who wanted to be more substantively involved in the movement. And we felt like we could work essentially as like a matchmaker between those two groups. And that kind of model is still what informs our work today. It all sounds amazing. I mean, firstly, amazing what can be created through a conversation with friends. And I think that's a really underestimated place for generating ideas and thoughts. And then, yeah, to take it through to what you have done with the real intention that I'm hearing around. It feels like it's like something around the mutual benefits for young people, for landowners, for environment, for well-being. It just sounds all positive. And you talked about the romance of the rewilding movement. What do you think is so attractive about rewilding? And does it particularly resonate with young people in a way? Because I've got some ideas around that, but I'm really interested in what your thoughts are think that's yeah an awesome question and we've kind of been on the front line of that resonation I suppose like we've seen these young people being thrilled by the concept of rewilding and seeing it in action I mean it is really interesting to think about that I suppose there's a couple of like different levels that are coming to mind as reasons as to why it might be gathering so much momentum amongst young people the first one that came to mind was just this thought of we're getting barraged with so I mean you guys will be as familiar with this as anyone barraged with so many hyper-depressing statistics and news stories about environmental decline from all these different angles. And rewilding is so fundamentally hopeful in its idea and in the end product of it that it's, it makes sense that people might be just drawn to it as a narrative. Yeah, there aren't too many hope narratives in the environmental sector, so I think that's a huge part of it. I also think there's something a bit thrilling in that it's kind of pushing against really long-standing norms about how the countryside should look. And I think young people, and maybe I'm just speaking on my own behalf as a generically, <laughs> probably primarily an annoying way, just kind of like, I don't like being told <laughs> what to do, generally speaking. And I think that kind of instinct exists in a lot of young people. And I feel like the thought that like maybe the way things have been being done and people have been being told to manage the land might actually not be the best and that there's a cool, almost an interesting <laughs> new way that we can do things. It's just kind of like a, a kind of thrilling thought in itself. In terms of other stuff, I suppose the stakes are just so high. I mean, for everyone, but for young people especially, and that we're being handed this quite desolate ecological landscape. There's so many cataclysmic things kind of on the horizon. And I think rewilding offers like a really tried and tested route out of so many environmental problems. You can't really help but be drawn to it in the sense that if it is a success and if it happens at the scale that it needs to and the timeframes that it needs to, it could really massively improve our quality of life and like the stability of society across our lives. So that's obviously like another pretty appealing component to it. 
No, I completely agree. And having done some work with young people sort of struggling with climate anxiety or distress, mm-hmm. whatever, however you want to describe it, there's something about hope and action. If you can get that, those combinations, then you're uh, you're in the right space. And for me, I wonder as well about that. There's a value as well of being young in terms of you think about what you're going to see of your lifetime. And that feels really exciting, doesn't it? That like, you know, you come back to the space every five years over the next however many, and it will look dramatically different over that period. And I think that's something that's yeah really attractive. Maybe it'd be helpful for our listeners to get a sense about what is it that Young Wilders actually do? How do you support this process? Young Wilders is set up as a non-profit organisation focused on youth-led nature recovery. We do this by facilitating and running youth-led nature recovery projects across the UK, as well as a whole host of other youth engagement and platforming activities that we do in the background. So, but like yeah, our main activities are these like small-scale nature recovery, rewilding, ecological restoration, whatever term you want to use, projects that we run. We currently have around 10 of them mostly in southern England but spreading every day and these like range from urban wildfire meadow creation in central London to 40 acre rewilding project on the border of Surrey and Sussex and we're just about to get cracking on another 30 acre like woodland and river restoration project in Essex which we're really excited about and all our projects are youth-led, so the interventions are conceived by and like designed with like, and for young people. And then, at least on our bigger projects, where we're completely in charge of the management of the land, all the interventions are also completed by young people through our like, big volunteer days. And then, on the side of that, we also run an annual youth rewilding summit that we've been delivering in collaboration with Heal and Net. And we also do seminars and run online groups and Jack as an Instagram wizard and all those <laughs> other things to do to uh, reach young people from all over. And our kind of MO on all of our projects is to maximize not only the ecological, but also the social potential of a small plot of land. That's really interesting. And I, I think, firstly, the fact that you're running your kind of annual events at, at NEP and other places, and just how what an exciting place to go and spend some time with like-minded people. I imagine they'd be great. Sure. Shame that I'm 36 years old, you know, before I can't go. But I'm sure other people will definitely benefit from that. The other thing that's worth mentioning is, so the website, which we'll say at the end, and it'll be in the show notes, is youngwilders.org. You've got a really cool, funky section. I mean, all of it's good, but the uh, our project section where you've got the map of the UK and you've got your projects listed on that. So any uh, young people listening, or anyone else for that matter, don't want to discriminate, can go on there and have a look at the projects and just see where it is and how it's spreading. And it'd be very interesting to see that over the years as it grows, it's really quite exciting. Okay, you were talking about these projects and, and I think for this scenario, I'd love to hear like, you know, your, your kind of 40 acre scenarios where you are looking to do some control the interventions on the land yourselves like what is the process that is, that you are going through because obviously we're going through the same thing probably less organized than you are at this moment in time so it'd be really interested to learn from you what's your general process when you're assessing new land and what kind of time frames we talk about from here's some land please do something to actually starting work on it yeah i think our process is something that we've worked out the hard way i would say in that we didn't pre-agree a certain way to do this kind of work we just sort of started doing it and made adjustments as the mistakes were made which was a real luxury but definitely wouldn't recommend other people doing that it's uh yeah it kind of slowed us down in a lot of ways but i think now we feel in, like quite confident that we know kind of the rhythm of how to set up one of these projects and give it like long-term sustainability 
one project I can use as an example, because it's our longest standing project that we have decision-making control over, is Maple Farm, which is the one Noah mentioned on the border of Surrey and Sussex. And that was a real dream opportunity for us, because when we were first talking to the landowner, we'd only worked on one very small other plot. Uh, and it was just the wildflower meadow, like cut, sowing seeds stuff, so quite basic ecologically. And they took a real risk on us. The owners of Maple Farm, Colleen and Kevin, are huge fans of yours if you're out there listening to this. I think they really were thrilled by our youth engagement angle. And they knew they wanted to do the rewilding work, so they thought that we'd be a good fit for, yeah, the kind of stuff they wanted to see on their land. And then the way it worked from there was basically... <laughs> Noah kind of does most of the nitty-gritty for us as an organization. So Noah kind of <laughs> went into the trenches of grant winning and was applying to like councils and local trusts and stuff like that. And we've generally found it's a bit of a home game pitch, really, because a lot of these organizations have certain metrics that they need to achieve across a year. And if someone applies with some access to land and says, we want to do this social stuff, we want young people to be involved, we want these ecological benefits, it's often a bit of a no-brainer. So although sometimes a bit kind of onerous in terms of time in, it definitely always greeted by kind of a friendly reception, which is a very kind of encouraging aspect of the work. But yeah, Maple Farm specifically, we got the funding, we made a three to five year plan, which we've kind of, we've made a kind of boilerplate contract now, but we were first developing it with those landowners. And the kind of interventions that we've done there is we planted just over 2,000 trees there in the form of hedgerows as there were pockets of woodland that were disconnected from one another. So it was quite a kind of clear and obvious move to yeah, connect them up with hedgerows. And we did that, as Noah mentioned, always with big youth-focused volunteer days, which are insanely fun. So that was all fantastic. And then the other work, we've also done passive rewilding, which feels a bit ridiculous to kind of claim it's an action of ours. But what we mean in this context is just that we've re we have relieved grazing pressure on lots of different parts of the land. For a long time, the land was managed as an animal sanctuary and the owner wanted to keep helping the animals but wanted to start sending them to other farms when people reached out to them to relieve the grazing pressure. We've helped manage that. And just from that alone, it's absolutely insane, the ecological gains that you can see. It's really ridiculous. For like for, for so long, it's been very heavily grazed. It kind of looked a little bit like a golf course when we first arrived, lots of sheep on the site. But now, yeah, the grass has been let loose. There's loads of like really awesome rough grasslands, so many rodents, loads of birds of prey flying around. The butterflies are like dense in the air when summer comes along. So it's all really gorgeous. That's been huge. And the other work we're doing there, the charge being led by Noah is all water-based because the river locks flows through the middle of the site. There's a floodplain there. We've had all sorts of different ideas about how best to kind of let that area thrive. We've been doing some wetland scrape tests, which is one option we have. Also some potential kind of wet meadow stuff as well. And also there's thought of possibly doing a pond there as well. So there's, yeah, lots of different things to decide but the ecological gains there as with all water work would be phenomenal so and paint a picture for me just mm -hmm. you know if i'm a young person listening to this on these youth days i assume you you send out a, a message to your members or people that volunteer say i want to do something yeah. and then they reply back say yep cool i'd love to come mm -hmm. so what happens everyone arrives at a certain time together how big are these days and what's the kind of standard format if there is such a thing which i doubt there is but i thought i'd ask yeah, so yeah, one of the main parts of our youth engagement is these youth volunteer days. We normally advertise those just by like posting our Instagram or like out to our mail out subscribers. And then, um, yeah, everyone gets a nice little info pack from us. Normally comes with a drawing from one of our more talented friends about you know, <laughs> what we're going to be doing. And we arrange everyone's like transport, like lift shares, get everyone down. 
specifically at, at Maple Farm, we spent a lot of time again with us, some of our some talented young friends, dismantling a bunch of old horse shelters and reusing the materials to create an outdoor classroom. So that's where we like host these volunteer days. So we'll all meet there, have a bit of discussion about what we're doing, why we're doing it, why it's important, get everyone to, to strategize a little bit about how the best way to go about it is with a group of 20 to 30 young people, basically. Yeah, then we just kind of hand out some safety gloves and then get cracking. I don't know, try and make it as fun as possible. I'm going to start middleagedwilders.org. That's what I need in my life. (laughs) And I guess if I'm a young person and I'm listening to this and thinking, oh, you know, I want to get involved, but I don't know anything about nature, rewilding or any of these principles, like, is there a place for me? What, What would your response be to that? I think, yeah, that's a huge component of what we hope we're bringing to the rewilding space in terms of making it as unintimidating as possible for people who might not be familiar with the ideas. I think for those who aren't familiar with the ideas, all the kind of like Latin names for things and the fact that things are kind of very, like just geographically can be quite difficult to get to. Those sort of barriers are always there. So whenever we're doing this kind of work, we're always really keen to make things, I guess, as frictionless as possible for anyone with a passing interest in rewilding in the sense of making it kind of a lot about fun. Like Noah mentioned at the start of the day, we'll like explain about hopefully in simple terms the kind of ecological benefits of the work that we're doing. And we'll also yeah, make things really easy to get there just yeah, in those practical terms. That is a huge thing because we, we really don't want to be preaching to the choir and just getting people involved who will have done this stuff otherwise. We really want to kind of broaden the church, if you will, of people who are coming down to do this sort of work. So making things as kind of easy and unintimidating as possible is pretty core cool to what we do. Oh, amazing. And if you're a landowner, equally, there's listening to this and thinking, oh, you know, I've got 25 acres. I don't, I don't really know how, I, how do I get these people involved with what I've got? How would they connect up with you? And I guess what's the process involved with that? Sling us an email. I, <laughs> we uh, we um, get a lot of landowners reaching out to us and like mostly we're able to help in some way. We're, you know, one of our stated aims is to just accelerate the nature recovery of the UK on all plots at all scales you know, as fast as we can possibly go so when we have someone reach out to us we will at the very least have a call and try and give some advice of what we've learned worked on other projects if our particular vision about a kind of youth-led project resonates with the landowner we'll go forward with them see if there's maybe one thing we could do to get started is plant a hedgerow on one of the boundaries should be there or we can do a trial day of what that collaboration is like. And then ultimately, we offer to take on the management responsibilities of the land and kind of let our vision be realized on, on the sites, basically, and which which is always done in collaboration with the landowner and other you know, local community groups and see what the need is both from that social side as well as the ecological side. I think one thing which Noah has touched on that's important to highlight, just if I was a kind of budding landowner getting thrilled by the Young Wilders pitch, is one thing that we say early in the conversations is that you would be able to get this work done faster and possibly like more effectively even if you worked with just a much more experienced, larger, slicker kind of environmental consultancy or anything like that. So it's pretty crucial, uh, like upfront, to establish that there's a lot of value alignment and that they they kind of really into the youth engagement component and all the kind of problems that come with that. Because obviously, it isn't all sunshine and rainbows when you're handing over like fairly large management decisions to people that don't have this kind of experience. But we kind of started Young Wilders on the premise that these landowners did exist without having any concrete proof that they did. One's willing to like take these risks and who really believe in youth engagement stuff. Um, and we've been like lucky enough to stumble into a few, which has been pretty awesome. 
Yeah, I've got to say, from our experience, I'm not sure. I think you do yourself a disservice there. I think that rewilding is such a, a new sect that people are exploring. And even professionals, you know, historically trained, using my little coat hands here that no one can see on the podcast, I think are still learning. And, and I think that's the wonderful thing about rewilding is it's just experimentation, being happy to fail and just applying the principles. At least that's, that's again, from, from our perspective for the last few you know months of doing this now. And then younger generation are probably more happy to fail, more happy to learn, more happy to adapt, more flexible in their approach. And I think that could only be a, of, of benefit as long as you obviously don't do any more detrimental damage to the lands that you're looking after. So one of my personal bugbears about this sector is that we don't look after the people who are looking to do the right thing well enough people expect to oh you want to do something nice for the environment let's do it for free because why not so i you know i really i'm kind of inspired by you guys and what you're doing and choosing to make this your career calling whatever you whatever you want to call it you know experiment um but you've still got to make it pay. So I'm really curious as to how you do actually make sure there's enough money to allow you guys to continue to work full time on it and get that balance between trying to do the good thing regardless and also still trying to make sure that the lights stay on. Yeah, it's a um, really interesting question and basically the plague of our lives of how do we, we know this is a good idea, uh, the how do we get it to put food on the table? Not much, ultimately. But uh, we just want to, yeah, we want to carry on doing it because we think that the potential is massive for it to serve lots of people. And yeah, we know that there's value there. We function mostly like a very similar way to a charity. We're a social enterprise and non-profit, so we're not allowed to make too much money. We spend a lot of our time fundraising. We have a few amazing charitable donors who've helped in the early stages support mine and Jack's salaries. And then for all of the projects, we are like basically applying for every grant under the sun to keep them going. Now, as we have gained a bit more experience and there's more government grant schemes on offer, like countryside stewardship, biodiversity net gain, you know, environmental land management schemes all coming through. And we have now the experience of how to access those on small plots. We also like charge new landers a small fee to work with us just a, a little contribution to our core costs so that we can make sure we're delivering all the youth engagement side of what we do. But that's probably around 10 to 15% of our income at the moment. And the majority of it is charitable donations, basically. But the projects themselves are all self-funded, zero cost to the landowners and the implementation side of things. So that's kind of the service we offer. And it's some people might think, hang on, what we have to pay you. But from my experience historically is if you do something for somebody and you make it free and you could just turn up then people despite wanting to turn up often don't on the day because they've got something else more important to do however if you ask the person to just to engage a small amount of money into supporting or donating to the organization you've instantly got someone who values your what you're bringing and is an engaged client or again don't know what term partner you guys want to work with and i just think that is fundamental if you have that certainty that that land is going to be your project moving forward and uh, yeah salaries i think is a grandiose term maybe i don't know at the moment but uh, aspirations in the future for you both if in i don't know five ten years time young wilders have got to the place where you'd want it to be what sort of things what are your aspirations what, what are you really hoping to get from this um I'd say we have our kind of vision when we're talking about what things might be looking like in 10 or 15 years is one of just catering to this, I suppose, two broad groups that are work uh, that we work with. There's like the young people who want to kind of be involved in nature, either recreationally or professionally. And then there's the landowners who want to do this kind of work. 
we have been we're currently a bit stretched for capacity because it's just Noah and I the whole organization we do have some bits and bobs of help from elsewhere but we're the only full-timers and the heartbreaker at least in the last six months especially has been young people approaching us from different areas of the UK not in southern England for example saying like we'd love to work on a project or we'd love to start a project with the young wildest name these are which are obviously so flattering and exactly the kind of thing we want to happen but we don't have capacity to sort of allow to allow it to occur we don't have a landowner near them we can introduce them to for example and then the flip side of that is landowners have been approaching us and saying we'd love your services we love the u3 wilding angle all the kind of stuff we love to hear but then we don't have capacity to like start up a project in the way that we've already done so i'm whining about capacity just because we'd love to get to a point where landowners and young people from anywhere in the country can approach us from either side of that conversation and we can say oh great we've got a cluster of 10 young people in the area who I, we know are interested in this kind of work or you can use our name to start your own project or there's a landowner just near you if you'd like to introduce so i suppose we'd move to a more facilitator type role and that will allow us to kind of scale to do those two core aims which is just always to accelerate the nature recovery of the uk and to get young people as involved in the movement as is possible and yeah ultimately we'd love for any young person who wants to be involved in a project to be most an hour away from a project where they can you know see these things in, in real life and try some things out and be involved um, as easily as possible so not quite a project in every county but definitely a project in every region of the uk we would love as like a medium term goal that sounds great i guess i'm kind of interested for young people generally what do you think are some of the challenges of stepping into engaging in nature recovery conservation space and yeah i i know that obviously you're working hard to address those with with young wilders but yeah could you speak a bit to that that'd be amazing Definitely. So yeah, one issue that, that Noah and I talk to each other about pretty frequently is about volunteer exploitation in the nature conservation sector. It's interesting because in other sectors, they don't expect as much free work. Basically, There's like positions in our, in our world where you can work three days a week full time for months and not be paid anything. And obviously that just doesn't really chime right. But equally, people do really want to do this work and have these experiences. So it's not as straightforward as like, you know, like long-term volunteering equals bad. But the issue that it creates that we run into quite a lot, and actually when we did our resurgence Youth Rewilding Summit with NEP last year, we had this big moment where we got everyone to talk about what they would change about the kind of environmental sector. And one thing that came up loads was this volunteering thing specifically understood as a barrier to entry into the sector because not everyone is as resourced especially when they're young to be able to do like long periods of work for free obviously and that creates these other issues of access which are really detrimental to the movement because we need access to as much talent and enthusiasm as possible and so trying to make it an easier world to get into without these like really high bars of like free work requirement is a massive thing obviously we're a tiny organization so there's only so much we can do about it so we have our project officer scheme which is a slightly more kind of long-term volunteer adjacent thing in that like it could be a volunteer thing but we are paying people for their time there and equally we have an internship program that's paid it's a very it's a really low bar but I, I, we think it's like a really important principle to demonstrate in practice um, and we think it's going to make it much easier for hopefully if it like influences the, the culture at all in the longer term it's going to allow a lot more young people with yeah, all that energy, enthusiasm, intelligence to be kind of unleashed into the space, which would be wonderful, obviously. I think that's such an amazing aspiration, Jack, because even though we're relatively new to the space, I notice a kind of lack of diversity at times in, in terms of the people we're speaking to and engaging with. So, yeah, to think about how do we bring more, you know, more with more diversity, you have more perspectives, you have more thinking, you have more experimentation. It's only going to be good. So, yeah, inviting that in sounds fantastic. 
thank you guys it's been a, a really kind of insightful and interesting conversation so we're drawing to a close now but Noah, is there anywhere you'd like to direct anyone to find out more and feel free to do that of course we're going to add it to the show notes as well yeah thanks tom depending on how old school slash new school you're feeling you can uh, go on our website um, which is www.youngwilders.org sign up for our mailing list check out the things me and jack have just said but probably articulated a bit better um and if you're feeling on the more new school side of things get us on instagram we're at youngwilders underscore and there we post updates from all of our projects even if you just feel like watching from afar and then we also share opportunities both volunteering and otherwise and like yeah, introduce new projects when they appear we also have a tiktok coming soon watch this space with some great yeah videos that were made at the last uh youth rewilding summit that's we know you're definitely young <laughs> yeah you have to send me like a link well can you just take those videos out and just send them to me directly i, I can't get my, anyway can't get my head around that that's <laughs> okay but anyway perfect thank you very much well thank you for your time both thanks so much great what a hopeful story, a story of people coming together, having an idea, making it happen and getting involved in large scale change for young people, for the environment. And I just, I feel really inspired by the story and what can be achieved when people set their minds to something. I'm just waiting for the invite. I hope they'll like make a little exception for us to go to their annual gathering at NET to go and share the ideas, share the energy and enthusiasm of their team and their wider members. Absolutely. And, and what a great team. And I think that came across in the interview. And that also really came across when they came to visit about how that well they work together. Yeah, Jack and Noah, their energy like you could hear was infectious and their passion. But we're missing Meg and Molly in that because they balance each other really well. And like Meg for her day job, she's an ecologist and Molly works for Natural England. They're bringing that professional experience and injecting that into Young Wilders. It's just a real perfect recipe for success. I think, I don't know, you might shoot me down for this, but one of the things that I was interested in from the conversation was this idea of the volunteering as a route into work. And I completely agree with Jack and Noah's point around how long-term, three-day week volunteering, all that does is promote a certain sort of person being able to enter a profession. But I also think that there's a balance had because I think when I think about some of my best experiences as a young adult, a lot of those were being part of something where I wasn't going to pay for it, but I was getting so much else back from that experience, whether that was connecting with people, feeling part of a movement, being able to do something that was very different from how I would spend my day job. So I think volunteering as a, the rewards you get from it are sometimes underestimated. And I love how I think Jack and Noah both spoke to the opportunities and the vibe and the benefits of people coming together to getting something done that also has a wide, huge benefit for nature. I don't know about you as well. I felt like we were like three rungs down or probably five rungs down on the cool. We weren't cool enough to be in that conversation. I felt like I was just, I was struggling with that. following on from that as well. I'm looking forward to chatting to the volunteers that hopefully come to our day and really understanding what motivates them to make sure that volunteer day two, whenever we do that, is really focused on what drives them and really niches or focuses down on how we provide value to them because ultimately we are very aware that when you give your time to someone it's a precious thing and they're trusting you with it. you know one thing is we're going to run out of time eventually in life you know and so we're your people are giving us that and i think that we've got to really respect that and value it and treasure it and it's interesting you touched the idea of cool because i think wilding is cool i think there's something about the dynamism i think there's something about you're the... too old to say if anything's cool chloe oh, just to come on. I'm so old. <laughs>
talk about shoot you down. I wouldn't do it before, but no, I'm not so sure. It's getting cringy now. <laughs> I know. I, I just, I genuinely feel when you think about like traditional conservation, there's something about welding that makes it a bit sexy. And my, it's like, well, I'm going down a rabbit hole. Don't keep going, Chloe. This yeah. is it. This is a new side to you. They've, they've brought out this new side to you. Yeah, it's my, it's my South London side of me. <laughs> but the idea of getting young, young people engagement is a really big part of what we want to do here at the Grange Project. And we've had some fantastic conversations over the last few months with people within Monmouthshire education and to think about kind of young adults and the role they can play and it's got me inspired to think about yeah, how we could work alongside them moving forward and collaborations on, on the Grange project. Right, that's it for me. Is there anything else you would like to particularly highlight before we close it off? Just to say that my walk with the Young Wilders on the day after we had our dinner mm-hmm. was one of my favourite walks, I think, around the land because their passion and the way that they saw the project totally understood what we were trying to do combined with Meg's sharing her knowledge around some of the ecological processes she was observing and all oh, the bad thing about the moles bowls not moles bowls go on what was the, amazing these are cool moles there's, there's is the bowls, cool bowls. Bowls. for voles she was saying that how we've got a really great population of voles in terms of for a semi-improved and improved grassland and that's going to be a great thing for the birds of prey. So that was one of my fun facts of our visit from the group. Was this before or after Meg stuck her head up a, <laughs> an old oak, oak tree, which is a great photo of as well? Yeah, that, that was that was before. Yeah. <laughs> and I have noticed the birds of prey. We have promised ourselves we are going to really get to know our British birds of prey. We did get some binoculars for Christmas. So we did. Yeah. Although I did see on the internet, just before we close this out, an AI-driven binoculars where they... It will, it will tell you the bird you're looking at just through using a kind of HD, ultra HD camera. How cool is that? Step away from the technology, Tom. As a book and a binoculars that will serve you well. If you want to be cool, Chloe, just saying. <laughs> right, well, thank you very much, everyone. If you got this far, congratulations and, and well done. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Links to everything will be in the show notes, including the volunteer day. And we look forward to chatting to you on episode 16 in a couple of weeks. Thank you, everybody. 